Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life. Good to be back in familiar digs. I did love the time down in Greensboro and being able to broadcast with you live. We didn't miss a beat, broadcasted with you all the way through from Greensboro from Tuesday to Saturday. Did our show yesterday to break down all 68 teams in the 2023 NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Tournament. We're going to be talking with one of those head coaches of one of the teams inside of the field of 68 in just a moment as we start off the week with Matt, week with Matt Langle here uh, of the Colgate Raiders men's basketball team. They have made it a normalcy in recent history of advancing to the tournament with their success inside of the Patriot League. From Hamilton, New York, Matt Langle will be joining us in just a moment. Then we'll jump into our conversation later on this hour around 9.40 a.m. Eastern time with Jason Leone of the Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team as they advance to the Elite Eight after taking down reigning national champion Randolph-Macon on Randolph-Macon's floor in the NCAA Division III tournament. And then we'll have Tony Bruin join the show around 10.10 a.m. Eastern time to speak on Jim Beheim, Adrian Autry, and Cuse then and now. And we'll round out the show with Andrea Smith and our segment, Two Mics, No Filter, having some fun with you on this Monday morning. So a lot of great stuff coming up inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. It is my honor and my privilege. And I know that he might smile when I say this, but I mean it when I say it or else I wouldn't say it. There is no better way to start the week than to be picture in picture with Matt Langle for all the success he has brought to upstate New York, to Colgate University and to the Raiders it is always an honor to talk with him. So I know that they go to coaches around the country and ask them how they're feeling about where they're seated. I get Matt Langle, and I'm proud of that. Matt, how are we doing today? Thanks for having me, Dan. Doing great. Absolutely. You know, you're always so mellow, Matt. Do, do Does your team get to see you get, get you know, did you have a moment yesterday where you got a little bit amped up, or, or are you always kind of even keel? Yeah, I try to be as even keel as, as I can. I think that's my personality. I think it's important um, when you're in a position of leadership to be yourself um, because you you can't really fool uh, young people, especially. And so I, that's that's kind of me trying to be not too high, not too low, uh, focus on, on what's ahead. We certainly have had some celebratory moments, I can tell you that, over the course of this special season. Yeah, you know, in, in, in this season, a record of 26 and 8, you know, and, and teams like Colgate, leagues like the Patriot League don't get the respect that they deserve. What do you want people to know about the Patriot League this season? Because everybody talks about quad ones and quad two, and this team was ranked. And it seemed like the committee this year for the NCAA selection uh, committee-wise, it seemed like they believed in something called a quality road loss. So when you see all these different things that go into it, what should people know about the Patriot League? Yeah, I, I think for me, and I don't study all the all the metrics or the committee. I leave that up to the pundits like you to to talk about those things. For me, the Patriot League is a is a little bit of a throwback. It's it's generally as as college athletics has become a a big business. Uh, the Patriot League's founded on on a combination of of athletics uh, and academics, and so. You know, our institutions are really driven to develop student athletes um, for them to be true students going to class the exact same way as as every other student on their campus, uh, which is what I'm really proud of that our guys have done to be able to play basketball at the level they have and um, not compromise their academic experience in any way, shape or form is a, is a testament to who they are as individuals and, and the families they come from. And, 
and what Colgate University and the Patriot League is all about. Here with Matt Langle, the coach of the Colgate Raiders, live to start the week on the heels of finding out where they're going to be inside of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Matt, we see that you're you're on the 15 line and playing uh, second seed at Texas. We'll talk about that game in a second. But to a point that that I've had here, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, when you win your conference, if you're one of the 32 teams that wins your conference, you have an automatic bid, and then there's 36 at large. Do you believe that if you win your conference, you should be guaranteed a spot? Because there are those play-in games, and some teams that win their conference get put in a playoff play-in game situation. Do you believe that if you make it to the tournament on an automatic bid, that you should be in the round of 64? Or are you okay with the fact that some teams have to play in from there? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with, with the, with the current format. I think I, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit here, Dan, but back when I was a player, there were only 64 teams. And so, you know, I, I try and look at it as the perspective of, you know, I, I'd rather be, rather be in the tournament and playing and, and, and have a chance, you know, there's an argument that when, you know, you're, you're one of those 11 seeds or, or 16 seeds and the play in Dayton's and Dayton's an incredible atmosphere, you know, great fan base, yeah. um, people come out to those games. So it's an awesome experience, you know, and then you're not playing a team that's, you know, that much different from yourself in those games. And it's a chance to, to win in the NCAA tournament, which, you know, I, I had a chance to do that one time as an assistant coach. I've, I've been lucky enough to be a number of times as a player and as, as a coach. But um, to have a chance to win a game in the NCAA tournament, whether it's play-in or 64 or whatever it may be, is a, is a pretty awesome experience. So I think the way it's set up right now is 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 pretty neat. And, you know, history will tell you some of those, some of those play-in games, some, some of those teams have gone mm-hmm. awfully far in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, no, it's it's been incredible, and I've been down to Dayton for the first four, and it's definitely been an experience. It was down there when uh, Syracuse and St. Bonaventure from the state of New York were both there, so definitely an interesting, and it is. It's a great atmosphere, like you said, and fans come out, and they pack the place, and it's really, it's an incredible place to be. It's just, uh, you know, for some teams, I think if you win your conference tournament, you should you shouldn't have to play in is kind of how I look at it. So you draw the second seeded Texas Longhorns and you have the opportunity in that 215 matchup. We know that that's not an impossible matchup and no game is an impossible game, especially for Colgate in your tenure there. I know that you're very humble about it, but you guys have had wonderful success. And even in games in the NCAA tournament that ended in a loss, you have pushed teams all the way to the brink. Your inside outside game has been incredible. I think it's gotten better, arguably. So I'd love to get your thoughts on on drawing to the Texas Longhorns out of the Big 12 and what your thoughts are on that 215. Yeah, I mean, I think generally 215, it's a hard matchup. There are those 15s that that find a way to win those games. That's certainly what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, I think some of the experiences that we've had, you know, we've got a number of guys on the, the on this team that, you know, do have the experience of playing a close game against Tennessee, a close game against Arkansas, double figure lead, and uh, uh, and, and last year against Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, that being said, the, Texas is different than all of those teams. Obviously, they're playing great, uh, having just beat Kansas a couple times here late in the season and won the Big 12 tournament, arguably the, the toughest conference in, in the country. Um, they have their own experience, guys, some veteran guys who, 
have been around the block, played a lot of college basketball, even if it's not all been at Texas. Some guys with different experiences at other institutions have all found their way to Austin to be a part of this Longhorns group. They they really get after it. They're, they don't have just one player, although they have uh, uh, some really good uh, players that are leading them in scoring, uh, but they have great depth. They have uh, great balance on their team. They can they can hurt you in a lot of ways, and and they really get after you on the defensive end. Yeah. So when you when you get a matchup like that, I mean, like you said, you got. I mean, I know as a coach, you got to play the game that's in front of you. You got to coach the game that's in front of you. What do you think about that bracket? I mean, do you do you take a look? I know you look at the the game that's coming up next, but do you kind of take a look at the Midwest bracket itself with Houston at the top. Do you kind of study any of that or take an appreciation for where you are, or is it just strictly Texas? I think you take appreciation for where you are being in the NCAA tournament, playing a game and, and Des Moines, you know, the, the, the crowd, the fan base there, I anticipate they love their basketball at that part of the country. I anticipate there being a great crowd and it being a great environment. Um, I, I couldn't tell you who the other teams are in Des Moines, you know, what the other games are. And um, obviously, you know, you know, you got to prepare your staff has to prepare a little bit um, for what could be a game on Saturday if you're fortunate enough to play your best and find a way to win. But, yeah, I, I leave that up to, to my 13 year old son to study the bracket <laughs> and see what region we're in and where those things are. It's what makes it fun is the tournament and the the, the whole the whole magnitude of it and the spectacle and the pageantry but you know for me as a coach really just trying to learn as much as we can about texas and trying to help our guys um prepare and and be at the best best play, best place to, to play a great game on thursday night that coming here from colgate raiders men's basketball head coach matt langle on the heels of finding out where colgate's going to be inside of the ncaa tournament as a 15 seed going up against two seeded texas longhorns in the midwest region matt for you, why? I mean, obviously, the the easy answer is you won enough games and you won your tournament. But why is Colgate where they are right now? Why did this year's team make it to a place where they're still dancing in the postseason? Yeah, I, I think I got to start um, with our with our captain, with uh, uh, Tucker Richardson, our fifth year player, who was Defensive Player of the Year, Player of the Year, Scholar Athlete of the Year. You know, five short years ago, he was rookie of the year. He's accomplished, you know, he's won four championships. This would be his fourth NCAA tournament. I mean, he's he's really a do-everything player. Finished the, the his last game at Cotterell Court, you know, with a triple-double in the championship game. I just think speaks to his versatility. Uh, but a, a, as good of a basketball player he is, I think, you know, why he I start with him is it's never about him. He's really a team first guy um, and whether it's setting up his team teammate for a jump shot or celebrating his teammate. Um, and I think that that's carried on throughout our team. I think this is a close knit group that, that play for one another and with one another. And when we're playing our best, it's evident just watching us play how much they, how close they are and how well they get along. You know, and, and when you look at this team as a whole, I believe that you step into the NCAA tournament this year as the team that has the best percentage from three-point, 40.7%, I believe, is the best in the nation of Division One men's basketball teams, and there's over 350 of them. We know that Colgate can hit the three, but to be the best in the nation as you step into the NCAA tournament has got to be pretty special. 
Yeah, I think it's a result of of the quality of our of our players. Um, you know, we have a bunch of guys who can shoot, so teams can't lock in on just one guy to try and take out the team's three point shooting. Uh, and then it also speaks to their unselfishness. I think that you know they we they they found a way to move the ball, and the open guy gets a shot. Um, and so when he's open, he's he's found a way to shoot it at a high clip, whoever that guy is. And so, you know, really proud of of how they play the game, how they share the basketball and how committed they are to taking quality shots. I think that, you know, if you if you shoot bad shots, you don't typically shoot a good percentage. So I, I think part of that speaks to their decision making and their awareness of, of what are quality three point shots. Well, people don't know if they haven't watched live the Colgate Raiders is the fact that you are more than that though. And that your inside play and your ability to work the ball around and really become an all around offense with a lot of strengths. It's something that I've gotten to see a few times live this season in front of my face. I know you guys went down to Binghamton and got to watch that game and obviously at the dome. So when you're seeing this Colgate team and a lot of people are keying in on that three point shooting, you have the big men, You've tried to stack up better, like you said, that close game against Wisconsin. And this team has elevated its play inside. So I'd love to get your thoughts as a head coach on how this offense has evolved over the last few years. Yeah, I think, again, the, the, it starts with the players and their versatility. I think that they've they've been really good decision makers. So instead of just being a three-point shooting team, uh, they really read the defense well and try and take take what that opposition is is giving us. Uh, and sometimes it's one-on-one play on the interior. Keegan Records is first team all league for a reason. He's you know become a force in our conference, finishing shoots a really high percentage around the basket, as does Jeff Woodward. Uh, who spells him uh, for about half the game. Uh, and then, again, when the other team's not helping off the three-point shooters, it creates driving lanes. Braden Smith, as a freshman, has has really been good attacking the basket, you know, finding passes, finding drop-offs for layups. And, you know, he and Tucker have gotten to the basket extremely well to finish finish plays at the rim. So I think that that balance certainly speaks to the efficiency of our offense and 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 why we've had a, a really productive season on that, on that end of the ball. Yeah, you know, as a team, you're shooting over 50% from the field as a whole and scoring almost 80 points per game. What is it about, like you said, I know you break it down, the individuals to make up this team, but what is it about the consistency? Because I've gotten to watch Colgate over the years under your tutelage, Matt, and there's something to be said about the consistency of making shots, the consistency of being able to push teams, the consistency of making it to the NCAA tournament. It's one thing to have success every once in a while, which I think, you know, anybody could fall upon that, but to have consistent success to build a culture is something different. Why is Colgate a culture of winning right now? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question and I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. I think it's been a lot of work by a lot of people over a long period of time. And so that's something that we talk about all the time is, you know, this group takes a lot of pride in that they're, they're not just playing for themselves. They play for those who have come before them and certainly for the opportunity for who those are going to come after them. And so, you know, when you do that, um, you know, you, you can, while they'll be doing everything they can on Thursday to play their best game, that's only focused on, on one day. And so they, they're really focused on the big picture and that's doing the work every day. And so this group, you know, they're always in the gym. They're always studying film. They're always thinking about, 
you know, what they need to do individually to help prepare themselves to be the best version of themselves for their teammates. And so that culture has now been in place for a while. And uh, I'm really proud that, you know, new guys that come here, they're, they're coming here in part for that because they recognize that in the recruiting process. And then when they get here, they learn it from the veteran guys. I mean, you know, Tucker Richardson, although he's been a huge part of all of these runs, I think if you would ask him, you know, he learned a lot when he got here early in his career, um, you know, from some guys who came before him and, and those guys learned from guys that came before them. So, yeah, I feel really good that this culture has been in place for some time and, and we work really hard to make sure we protect that and keep that and, um, and, and value that um, as much as anything else in our program. Matt, you talked about the fact that this school values the student and student athlete and that the Patriot League, that that's something that is a part of the league itself. To be on the recruiting trail, though, and know that you have this student and student athlete, you're going to get a great education at Colgate. But at the same time, you're in a position where on the recruiting trail, when you speak to a prospective student athlete, they know that this is an NCAA tournament team. They know in four of the last five seasons winning the Patriot League, you're going to advance and punch your ticket to the tournament. So when you're on the recruiting trail now, how have those conversations evolved into what they are today? And do you feel like it's become an easier sell for Colgate that with this continued success, that on top of the educational side of it, people want to come here because they know that there's a road to the NCAA tournament? Uh, I, I don't know how prospects and their families and young people view it. I, I think that you you said it is it an easier sell. I think it's a different message that we're trying to deliver. You know, for a long time, um, you know, Colgate has a little bit of history and tradition. The last time before this, these last few years, the, the it was, you know, Donald Foyle making the NCAA tournament and he was a, a lottery pick. And so for a long time, our message was we're looking for people to take us back to, you know, we haven't been in some time. We need somebody to, you know, step out uh, and be confident that they can be the individual or be a part of the group that leads us back to um, that level of competition. Now that we've been there, um, you know, we're looking for individuals who want, want to take pride in continuing that legacy um, to being a part of that culture. Uh, and maybe taking it another step. I know, you know, this group, they're, they're openly talked about at the beginning of the year. You know, they wanted to um, win a regular season championship, win a conference tournament championship, uh, and, and do whatever they could to win a game, win in the NCAA tournament. And so, you know, while some teams are setting out to be national champions, maybe that's been a big part of their goal is this third step of now that they're back here, finding a way to win um, on this stage. And so, you know, it's just a different message in recruiting, I think, than the one you were delivering before. And you're trying to highlight where the program is and and where the vision that that it can get to. Matt, before I let you go, we've seen in college basketball these last few years, especially that anybody on any given day, not just in the NCAA tournament, but in conference play and in, in, in non-conference play as well, we've seen the ability of teams to find ways to win. Why is it becoming more balanced that there are some, I mean, there's a bunch of teams that didn't make the tournament this year that arguably could have made the tournament based on the wins that they had, the teams that they beat. We look at Rutgers, we look at Clemson, we look at Vanderbilt. So it's not out of the realm of possibility in a 215 matchup 
it's not a realm out of the realm of possibility in a 512, which typically is a danger zone for the five seed more than the 12 seed. But in the regular season, even we're seeing teams do it. Is is this a, a testament to a place like Colgate where you have players, you bring them in, you develop them and they're not leaving? Is is that what cha- what's changing college basketball, that some teams are retaining their players for long periods of time? How do you view it? Yeah, I, I do think there's great parity in college basketball. I think there's a lot of different things that, that contribute to it. I think, you know, coaching has continued to develop as the game has changed. The, you know, the, the, the social media aspect and the digital networks, you know, provide platforms for young people to be exposed to, you know, a variety of different programs and, you know, pursue different paths and, um, you know, I think the landscape of, of college basketball in general, you know, like Texas is an example of one of those teams. They've got a bunch of guys that, that started at different places and have ended up at Texas. So, you know, there's a lot of different different um, circumstances that I think have uh, that go into creating the, the parity of, of college basketball. And um, let's be honest, like more people are watching it. You know, it's not just on CBS anymore. You know, you're yeah. you can you can get it, watch games on your phone or you know, on your tablet or on the move. And, and um, I, I think that that's affecting, you know, the variety that you see across the game. Matt, what do you want to say to Hamilton? Hamilton, New York, uh, a small area when we look at population, but a big area when it comes to love for their team and beyond that to the alumni. What should we know about the community of Hamilton and the people that support the Raiders? Because there is a special, special beauty to that. And I'd love for you to share that fan base. Yeah, I think just what you said is really it's really a cool thing. You know, we're a village of three thousand people, and we've got a a, a campus of about three thousand people. And so, um, you know, our guys just Selection Sunday, for an example, we're we're in a packed uh, restaurant in, in Hamilton, and a number of people from the village, from the from the mayor to some some uh, Colgate affiliated folks to you know, folks who just live and work and, and go to school in the area. Um, and they're not just fans who are cheering for for the team. They know the team. They get to know the, the personalities and the families of, uh, of, our, of our student athletes. And so for me, it's really cool as the coach to, you know, have our alumni network across the country to have such a, a small institution, but a powerful institution been excited about their basketball program and, and what our young student athletes have been able to accomplish and um, what they what they represent and, and to be able to put uh, the institution and the community on this stage is is a pretty neat thing. What's fun about this to you this time of year to to be dancing? I know you said you're even keel. You kind of don't show that emotion as as too high or too low. But what is fun about this? I mean, Colgate. Listen, they. There may, I said there this year, and, it, and it's been great to see so many teams, you know, Brian and Stratton College of Syracuse and Syracuse, New York, they're heading to the national tournament for men's basketball. Oswego State <clears throat> just went to the Elite Eight and beat the reigning national championship team. There's a bunch of great things going on with high schools in the area and teams vying for state championships. And here's Colgate heading back to another NCAA tournament for Division One. There's a lot to be said about the excitement of March. And I know, I know that you're mellow, but give me a little insight into Matt Langle and what goes through your mind and your heart, because this is, this is special because you're one of 68 coaches of 350 plus 
that gets to continue to coach here in March? Yeah, for me, Dan, there's two things. One, um, you know, when you set out at the beginning of the year and you're, you have your team in the summer and you're, you're going through fall workouts and, and getting ready for November, um, and, and you're working on their goal setting individually and collectively, uh, to get to this point now and see how they feel about achieving those goals, um, is extremely, extremely rewarding for me. Like I try to stand in the back so that I can see everybody's reaction when Colgate's name is called. Um, you know, when we win and our students, you know, rush the court and are celebrating with our guys, you know, I try and stand off to the side because for me, that's the great reward is watching the joy uh, and raw emotion of everybody else. Uh, as a coach, selfishly, I love our team. I absolutely love every single second I get to spend with them. So to get to coach practice 98 and 99 and 100 and prepare for another game and, and go through that routine and, and be in the battle with this group. That's for me, what makes it really special is, you know, I want every last second that I can get with this group because they've taken us on such a special journey. Yeah. We've gotten spoiled with you coach. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting used to seeing the Colgate in the tournament. I'm getting used to having that consistency in the Patriot league and I'm getting used to our conversation. So I am so very proud of you. You deserve the spotlight. You guys deserve the best, not just you, but Hamilton, New York as a whole and the university as a whole. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. And, and like I said it, there wasn't a better coach to have on Monday morning after Selection Sunday to talk about where you're going to be, where you are, and the preparation for it. Texas is coming up, and the opportunity to make new history at Colgate is coming up as well. Coach, I, I hope to continue to talk with you through the process of this, but I thank you so much for letting me do this on a Monday morning. It's it's very important to me being from upstate New York, and it's close to my heart because you're a fantastic coach, and you deserve everything that's coming your way, you and your staff and all the student-athletes, as, as well as the staff in the background. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. All right, I'll talk with you soon. Take care. Take care. That coming from Matt Langle here once again on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life as Matt and I had the opportunity to speak here on the heels of the Colgate Raiders going to the NCAA tournament one more time. Four times in five years. Four times in five years, folks. Think about that. Let that marinate for a second here. And so very excited. So looking forward to it. Matt Langle, a fantastic coach. We are spoiled to have him in our community. And just a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for Colgate again to do what they're, you know, to do what they've been doing in, in recent history here. So they had made the they had won the Patriot League a couple other times, made the NCAA tournament before Matt, and Matt has made it now four times of the six all-time trips to the NCAA tournament for Colgate. Matt has been coaching four of those, and they happen in the last five years. So four or five years going into the NCAA tournament, not bad, huh? The <laughs> pretty good odds, pretty amazing, pretty fantastic coach and staff. And like I said, in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, uh, Jordan Doroshenko and everybody that's over there, I want to thank the people that don't always get the thank yous because they help to make possible these conversations and they help to 
do a lot of things that uh, that nobody ever gets to see. So I want to say thank you to them as uh, being in broadcasting and journalism for almost 20 years now. You get to know the people behind the scenes and you got to shout out the good ones and the ones that help to make things possible and greet you with a smile on their face and are kind people. So thank you for that. Big shout out to Matt Langle, his entire team and everything that they're doing in the families of these teams. Shout out to Hamilton, New York. You're getting a shout out today. You deserve it. So big shout out to the village of Hamilton. Much love. And to all of those Colgate fans, those Raider fans that are so excited for this Midwest region opportunity to face off against number two seeded Texas, who won the Big 12 this year, defeating Kansas down the stretch. And that game is going to be huge. It's going to be played in Des Moines, Iowa, folks. So make sure you're ready for that. And that is going to be awesome. So I'm very, very excited for that. Thursday and Friday are my favorite times of the two of my favorite times of the year and my favorite time of the bracket because there's games from noon all the way to midnight. And that's why I love it. On Thursday, March 16th, we will see number 15 Colgate take on number two Texas at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time on TBS. Make sure you have them all, folks. You, you need CBS, True TV, TNT, TBS to watch all these games. So make sure that you get them. The tournament officially begins this Tuesday and Wednesday with the first four facing off against each other. All those games are on True TV. The first game of the tournament is the 16 seeds. Southeast Missouri State and Texas A&M Corpus Christi taking on one another at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on True TV this Tuesday, March 14th in the first four in Dayton, Ohio. And again, as we talked about with Matt Langle, Dayton is a fantastic place. I think they've turned the first four into a true event, and it's it's been wonderful down there. I got to experience it, and like I said, I was spoiled because I not only got to experience it, but I got to experience it with two teams from the state of New York in Syracuse and St. Bonaventure. So that was a lot of fun as well. And I'm just looking forward to the tournament. Really, really happy for Matt Langle and the Colgate Raiders and so happy for Hamilton, New York. And a big shout out once again to the wonderful people that comprise the community, that are part of the alumni base and that are currently going to the school right now and to every player past, present, future, every coach as well in the history Big shout out to Colgate, to the Raiders. Like I said, no better way to start off this week on the heels of the selection process than to talk to Colgate and get to celebrate the Raiders and head coach Matt Langle. So I love it so very much and I appreciate them so very much. Uh, Kevin said, listening to your show this morning, CNY has a lot to offer when it comes to basketball. was just thinking it would be cool if you could get, oh, he wants all the coaches together after season, learn how they impact the CNY region. So, you know, that would be fun, and that would be interesting to do something like that. Definitely appreciate that. And, uh, and you know, yeah, I mean, we get to talk to Matt Langle. We get to talk to Jason Leone. You know, obviously, Adrian Autry, Jim Beheim historically. Uh, talked to Jerry McNamara on the show. Talked to Alan Griffin. And I've also had the opportunity to connect with, obviously, Binghamton, with St. Bonaventure, with Cortland, with Cornell. So, you know, on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, there's nobody left behind. And it's it's important to me, obviously, Lemoyne and all the work that we do with Lemoyne, Brian and Stratton College of Syracuse as well. So it's an honor and a privilege to get to do what I do. And and I don't take it lightly that 
there are coaches that deserve the spotlight, have earned the spotlight, and should have the spotlight. So a lot of great stuff coming up, including Jason Leone, who's one of those great coaches. He said a wonderful thing here. I'm going to read his letter before we get him on the show. He wrote this publicly. Dear friends of Oswego State men's basketball, I wanted to say thank you to all who followed our historic 2022-23 season. It was nothing short of magical. This season was without question the hardest of my career after losing my dad unexpectedly on September 28th. My players gave me a reason to smile every single day when it was hard to smile. That alone made this team unforgettable. To my assistants, Ryan Rowland, Jake Pritchard, Bill Farden, Roxana Burroughs Farden, I thank you and I love you. What a team we are. You made every day special and your sacrifice does not go unnoticed. To my wife, Amber, I love you. What you do to let me do what I do is incredible. You are the toughest and most driven person I've ever met. Being a coach's wife is the hardest job there is. Thank you. Looking forward to our family returning to some form of normalcy starting today. Lastly, to Oswego State administrators, alums, and our fans, the hardest part of this is how abrupt it ends. What we have built here in 11 years is so wonderful to share with all of you. Thank you for your unconditional support and for embracing me as your coach. It truly is a privilege. 11 years, 236 wins, 55 the last two seasons, four Sweet 16s, one Elite Eight. Lakers fans, be proud because you have all been a part of this amazing run that we all should wrap our arms around and hold close to our hearts. Be loud, be proud, go Lakers. Hashtag believe. All my best, Coach Leon. So, and I just got chills reading that, and I literally stopped myself from crying a couple times. So we're going to talk with Jason Leone right after this fast break on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. We thank you for being here and celebrating your week with us. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or iced milk like our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Kefi Cabal offers same-day local delivery of our products, offering no delivery charge for Onondaga County. Shop KefiCabal.com for fresh roasted coffee beans, cold brew, travel mugs, and all your essential Kefi Cabal needs. Kefi Cabal, coffee for the soul. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. 
Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports truly meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It is my honor, it is my privilege to be here with you and be able to celebrate the stories of fantastic people all around the country. And I get to have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity all the time to talk with people from central and upstate New York. It is my home. It is where I was born. It's where I built my company. It's where I continue to grow and evolve and hopefully get better with every passing day. And when we talk about growing and evolving, it is so easy to talk about Jason Leone, this human being, this friend of mine, this person that, uh, you know, when somebody says, I love you, or they say, I love you, brother, you know, it means something to you. When it comes from somebody like Jason Leone, it goes beyond. He gives credit to everybody else. He talks highly about so many people, but we speak highly about him. And for whatever he says about me, take that, multiply it by a million. That's Jason Leone, probably two million. So this he's not just a good coach. He's not just a good friend. He is somebody who we are spoiled to have in this community. I'm prefacing him on the show with with this conversation here this morning because he deserves it. He spends so much time building other people up, and he has helped me in more ways than I can ever thank him for at times where it, it was too hard to even speak in certain situations. So, yes, he's a great coach. Yes, he's done amazing things when it comes to basketball, but he is truly so much better of a person. I love the family, love the Leones. They have treated me great at any time, wherever, whenever. Amber is wonderful. And uh, and before the break, I just read the the note that he had to his wife, to his team, to the community. And like I told him off the air, I had to stop myself from crying a couple times. So with that being said, the coach that led the Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team, to the nation's Elite Eight, the final eight of over 400 schools of 40-plus conferences is here with me this morning. My good friend, my brother, my family, Jason Leone of the Lakers. Sir, how are you this morning? Tired. <laughs> well, you can bet you can bet this. I'm gonna relax this week. So as long as I can, I'll, I'll work a little bit. But uh, I got. I'm actually really looking forward to this week. Um, my Dan, if we have a second, my uh, one of my first bosses, uh, Tobin Anderson. Yeah. Okay. 
if you can follow this, this guy, okay, was a Division three coach. Yeah, well, first of all, I got to start as an assistant at Clarkson University, just like I, one of the first jobs I had. Then was an assistant for Dave Paulson, um, who was the head coach at Bucknell and, um, you know, Lamoine, Williams College, whatever. So he, he worked for him at Lemoyne and then got his chance as a Division three head coach at Clarkson, then Hamilton College. Then he went to be an assistant at Siena. The staff got let go there, and he landed at the small Division two college down in Spark Hill, New York, in Rockland County called St. Thomas Aquinas, and built that thing into a national power, won over 80% of his games, and finally got his shot at FDU, Fairleigh Dickinson University, at the NEC. They were, Fairleigh Dickinson last year was four wins, and I think 23 losses, and Tobin just completed um, a season in which they qualified for the NCAA tournament in year one, and they have 19 wins. And they're playing in the first four at Dayton um, on Wednesday. I am flying out to go see him and his team play, which I haven't had a chance to do yet this year. Uh, so I'll be down there for the first four on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I come back, and Amber and I are going to have, my wife and I are going to have a weekend together uh, with no kids. And I'm very much looking forward to to catching up with her and spending some time with her. And what are we doing, Dan? Guess what we're doing together? Please tell me you're going to Disney. <laughs> so. no, we're, going to, we're going to watch more basketball in Albany. We'll be at the, at the games in Albany. So what does a, what does a college <laughs> basketball coach do with his wife on his weekend off? They go watch more basketball. So no, we're going to enjoy a nice uh, few days in a hotel and, quite frankly, just rest a lot. You know, I'm exhausted. She's exhausted basically being a – single parent here for the last couple months and um so i'm looking forward to this week yeah yeah and you know and and i was talking to my dad about this when we look at the regions and whatnot albany pulled some amazing games i for people that don't know i want to break this out to you here albany has miami up against drake it has indiana up against kent state those are coming out of albany we have saint mary's and vcu and UConn up against Iona, which to those of you playing the home game, that is where Coach Rick Pitino is now. So Albany's got some really awesome games, and and I just so here's me, and it's funny that you. I didn't even look, I didn't even look at the bracket yet. That's awesome. Those are gonna be good games. Yeah, I love how you're like we're gonna go watch basketball. Don't even know what games are out there. Just gonna go do it. Gonna gonna celebrate it. But I just got out of the submarine, Dan. So forgive me. <laughs> no, I love it. But but I was talking to my dad, and yesterday when when the bracket was coming out and we had dinner because i literally just flew home from greensboro yesterday and as soon as i flew home i decided to do a show on the 68 teams and uh, i ended up doing a three-hour plus show that went from sunday night to this morning here on monday because i just felt the need to do another one and break down every team and then i looked at albany and i and i said to my father I was like, I, I think we should go to Albany, Dad. I said, there's eight teams there. I said, UConn's playing better. Iona's got Rick Pitino, who could be taking a job somewhere else. I like VCU. I definitely, you know, I respect St. Mary's, what they've done. Miami's in the in one of the conferences I cover, you know. And so, and then you see Kent State and Drake, who I haven't seen before. An opportunity to see Indiana again, because I watched them with Tom Crean. So with all due respect, I think that Albany is going to be a big thing and you and Amber might be seeing me and pop because I'm trying to pull my dad to Albany. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, and, uh, you know, the cool thing about the games is you got the day in between. So we're going to stay for both of us. The day in between will be great because we're going to meet up with some friends. And I want to say St. Patrick's Day is Saturday. I don't even know the calendar. I think it is Friday or Saturday. So um, we'll have that going on. And I'm sure Amber will find her way to some spa at some point. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I got to start getting into my normal workout regimen. So we're going to get back on the treadmill this week and uh, get healthy, you know. Jason Leone here with me on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and the coach of the Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team. In the greatest moment of their history, just happening here, an advancement to the Elite Eight. And by getting to the Elite Eight, getting there by defeating the reigning national champion, number one seed, Randolph Macon, at Randolph Macon's home floor. Jason, bring me into this. You are humble. You, you know, like I said, give credit to everybody else, but you just coached and advanced the team to what I consider the greatest moment in the history of Oswego State Lakers men's basketball. And I'd love to get your thoughts. Well, it was, uh, it was, well, of course it was incredibly memorable. Um, and what made it memorable was, you know, the moments that I had with my team, um, you know, on a personal level, uh, just, you know, I, I, I made mention in my letter to our, our followers, you know, I, and I, I really don't, I'm not, I'm kind of private with this, but I will share this only because this is more geared towards our players. Um, you know, losing my dad this year unexpectedly two weeks before our season started, it was just, you know, I never, I'm not an overly spiritual guy. Um, you know, I wish I was more, um, I was better with getting to church and things like that, but I do go just probably not as often as I should. Anyways, I, you know, I, it was the challenging part of this was getting going here at the beginning of the season. Um, and my players, you know, were, they, they kept me going and, uh, they gave me a reason to smile every day when it was hard to smile, you know, and, uh, that was, you know, that was probably as much of anything that we did this year, you know, it's just, the moments we spent together and getting to your question when we ended up playing the number one team in the country on their home court on Friday, um, clearly a situation. And, you know, people were not trying to be Dan, uh, disrespectful to our program, but you know, you really get the feeling leading up to the game, unintentionally talking to people and then, you know, just insinuating our season was going to be over after the game. And, yeah. I'm not a big bulletin board material guy. I don't, I'm really not into karma or superstition or, you know, they said this, so this, you know, we're going to use this as a motivating tool. You know, I, I think that that's, I don't know, it's just not my style, but you know, it's hard to not notice that people had us written off. And, you know, I, I watched all the film, you know, and Randolph, they very well could have won the whole thing. They, they were that good, but you know, I, uh, after watching them, uh, I thought it was a pretty good matchup for us. I'm not saying I thought we were going to win, but I thought if we could handle um, playing in front of what I thought was as good a home court advantage as I've seen at our level, um, and we were fortunate that we got off to a good start and played from ahead, 
Um, I think, I don't think they took us lightly, but I thought we caught them, you know, in a position where um, I don't think they were quite ready for our quickness. And uh, we did some things with our game plan that I thought helped, helped us. And, um, you know, playing from ahead is, is, is a pretty significant thing the whole game. So credit our players. They were, they were locked in, man. I saw a look in their eyes where I was like, okay, I think we might, we got a shot here, you know. And after the game started, you watched the first five minutes, and I, I, I really thought it was an even matchup, you know, and we just had to play better. So um, that's not to discredit Randolph Nathan. They have a great coach, great program. They're champions. The loss the other night doesn't change that. Um, but, um, you know, it goes to show you at this time of year, it always goes back to playing well, Dan. you got to play well. And the next night, we played a team that was unranked, although very, very good, that was playing a bunch of freshmen and sophomores this year. And they were a team that really, really improved. And, you know, we go and play them, and probably on everybody's radar, it was a game, oh, well, they beat Randolph Bacon, they probably should have won that game. And we, they played well, and we did not. And uh, you have to play well every single night in that tournament, especially the deeper you go. So that was kind of a synopsis of the weekend. Yeah, and we talk about here with Jason Leone, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach. You know, when we look at tournament time and people are used to, you know, Division One, and and watching that and saying, okay, you play Thursday. If you win Thursday, you play Saturday. Then you get a little break, and then you play again. And then, you know, the longer you go, the longer break you get. That's not the case in Division Three. It's the farther you go, you don't necessarily get much of a break at all. You're right. You're playing your back-to-backs in the round of 64, round of 32. That's two nights in a row or two days in a row. And then, you know, in the case of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, right after you beat the number one team in the nation, number one seed, reigning national champion Randolph-Macon, it's like, okay, guys, now you got to turn around and play the next day and be ready for it. So in the Division Three world of it, Jason, I think it's important for people to know that there's not much of a break from 64 to 32 and then from Sweet 16 to Elite Eight where we see in Division One, there's this little lull period and this time for a team to even gather themselves. And from 64 to 32, there's even a day in between. You don't have that. You literally win that game and, and emotions, preparation, everything – you got to be ready to go right after. I mean, if they think Division One is difficult, Division Three, arguably even more difficult in preparation, in sleeping, in getting your emotions in check, in in you know celebrating a win but not letting it you know last to the point where you're not focused on the next game. You have a quicker turnaround in D three than even D one has, and I think that people should know that. Yeah, it's certainly part of the game. So after the first weekend's done where we hosted, we were fortunate that we had a good enough season where we hosted. Okay. Now it's a Sunday. Okay. And we'll be, you know, we, I, I don't have a full-time assistant. So I've got guys that work full-time for part-time pay, but um, my athletic director, our associate athletic director and myself, the three of us are setting up travel plans. Okay. And um, that for anybody that has to do that in any occupation, that in and of itself is that was a pretty big deal. We got a travel party of over twenty people, and you know we're figuring out buses, vans, flights, uh, where we're going to eat, where we're going to stay, um, practice times, shoot around times, and we're doing that. So, like at the Division One level, they have 
people that take care of that for the coaches. Um, so we're doing that. And then you have to sit down and watch film, okay, and, and get the team prepared and have practice. And that was, uh, that's that's a challenge, uh, managing all that. Um, and then, you know, when you play on Friday, if you're fortunate enough to win, you know, your game gets over at nine. And, you know, if you have full, enough full-time staff, you know, usually what happens is one assistant gets assigned one team and the other bracket, the other one gets assigned the other team and they start watching film. But as a head coach, you know, I, I'm somebody that likes to watch a lot of films. So I didn't start watching film on Whitewater until, you know, 11 o'clock on Friday night, you know, so I'm up until four and they were a really tough prep. You know, their, their coach has won two national championships. Um, They've been there before. He knows how to coach in the tournament. And the way that they play uh, was an incredibly challenging prep for us. Um, and the reason that was so is some of the things that they do really well on offense were places that we could be exposed defensively. And they, in one day, in less than 24 hours of prep, to their credit, really did a good job in a very simplistic way of exposing us in a couple areas. And we didn't play well, you know, we didn't play well enough. And that was Whitewater's to, to their credit. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a difficult situation. We had a point guard. I'm going to talk about this injury, but, you know, I'm not going to say that this is why we lost. I felt bad for him because he was, probably the reason we won on Friday. He tweaked his groin in the last five minutes of the game Friday and just was not himself Saturday. I think he was one for 11. And we're not, nobody's good enough to withstand, you know, that lack of production at that time of year um, in that game. I, he's crying after the game. And I just, I say this to protect him and to, you know, you get touched after the game while well, he didn't have his normal game. And, and I, I believe there was a reason for that, you know. And um, so it was, it was tough, that, that, to your point, the prep and getting ready without the support staff and, and the time that you have at Division One, it's certainly a pretty big deal. Um, but everybody has to do it. So you can't make excuses. Every team that's in the tournament is in the same boat as we are. So... Um, you know, I think it's one of those things in coaching at this level where you, the more times you do it, um, it's kind of like chopping wood, you know, and, uh, you know, you've got to be there most of the time, a bunch of times before you have breakthroughs, you know, for us, we've been in the sweet 16, four times to break through to that only date, you know, and obviously this core group of guys is all going to be back next year, except for one player. And, uh, we're going to have a very old team next year. So it'll be hard to get back, but. You know, we got one more run with this particular nucleus of guys, and you know, we'll start thinking about that in another week. You know, what we got to do to get back next year. So that, I mean, you let me right into the question. You keep coming back to Oswego State. Not that there aren't suitors out there that see the success you're having. Why continue to build this thing in Oswego? Well, we talked about this before. You know, um, you know, I've had opportunities to move, um, but. You know, I, I I keep coming back to the fact that, um, you know, I, I live here. Um, I've got find great value in my family and uh, the life that we've built. Um, I've got two young girls. 
um, that are doing well in school and in their sports that they enjoy doing. And, um, you know, it's everybody has different things that they want to achieve within their profession. And those things don't always involve level and money, you know, and, and, um, you know, I don't think the way that I view things is right or wrong more than somebody that, you know, wants to move up in level, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. So um, we're very fortunate that we've carved out a nice space for ourselves here in Syracuse, New York, my wife and I. And um, obviously, I make mention we've gone through some family adversity this year. And, you know, and, and I like being at us. I've had a really, really um, fortunate experience working with and for some great people that have supported us. Um, my family and I, and, uh, you know, and, and, and my players, we worked really hard to have an environment that's built on, um, you know, a family atmosphere, uh, it's built on loyalty, uh, and it's built on, um, you know, just being kind of where your feet are, you know, and I, I, I preach that to our players all the time. And, um, you know, success is not always about level. It's about, you know, finding something that provides comfort for you and an opportunity for success. And success is not always level, you know. Um, it can be, but it's not for everybody, you know. So, like I tell my players and my bosses all the same thing. You never say never, but it's, it's, it's about being really happy um, and thankful, you know, and, and I'm happy and I'm thankful to be at Oswego State. Yeah, coming from Jason Leone, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach. Coach, with Jim Beheim retiring after 47 years, you are now one of the longest tenured coaches in the state of New York. So, you know, you got 12 years at Oswego. Are, are there 35 more to come? What are we, what, now that you're one of the longest tenured? And you you may very well be in the area the longest tenured when it comes to men's basketball. So it's uh, pretty interesting now with Jim Beheim hanging it up. Now we look to the longevity of Jason Leone. Well, one of my closest friends, Tom Spambauer, Cortland, he's, he's been there, I think, 30 years. Um, so we don't want to forget about him, and there's yeah. probably other examples. But, um, no, I will not be coaching. And, and, listen, Coach Beheim has been really, really good to me. Um, and... Uh, I will say this, I, you know, it was, I was out in um, Virginia getting ready for our game uh, when the news broke and, um, you know, it was emotional for me. Um, all I ever wanted to do was play and coach basketball. Um, I grew up, you know, in the eighties when I was old enough to start going to games. Um, my dad would drop me and my buddies off at the dome and give us, you know, fifteen dollars at that point, we could get a ticket, sit all the way up in the nosebleeds, and get something to eat. And Derek Coleman, and you know, Stevie Thompson, and Sherman Douglas, Pro Washington. I mean, I grew up watching those teams and watching Coach build something special. And it's just look at—he's not for everybody, you know, his personality, but he gave that school and our city a hometown discount for all those years. And 
you know, there's sometimes some an unreasonable nature about the fan base um, when it comes to coaches in general. Um, you know, he's what he makes. You know, is not even close to what people that are at his level of success make at that level. Yeah. And uh, we're just we're just really lucky. And listen again, he's not for everybody, but I I just have really respected what he's done for our community. Forget the basketball program at the college, although that's part of it. Um, it snows all the time here. There's not a lot to do in the winter, especially if you're not a skier. And he gave entertainment value to our city for a long, long, long time. And nobody can question his loyalty to Syracuse and to the university and to that program. And I just wanted to say that about him. Uh, and he's been really good to me over the years. Um, he follows basketball at every level. He's a really intelligent man. And um, he's followed our team. And uh, in his busy schedule and with all of his fame, I've always appreciated that. Um, so I just wanted to say that about him going off topic a little bit here, but I will not be coaching that long. So I am, I love what I do. I give coach Bayon credit for his longevity, but the second I'm financially stable to retire, I will be doing so. Um, coaching is an unhealthy profession, uh, mentally and physically doesn't mean you can't take care of yourself, but it's, it's not getting easier. It's taxing. Um, relating to kids and to parents has changed and I'm still what I perceive to be a young guy, but I am in the second half of my career now. And, um, you know, that stuff's not getting easier. Um, and I can see why people are retiring younger and younger from the profession, but, uh, I do love it, but I'm not going to be doing it at that point in my life. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. And you mentioned Tom Spanbauer, who's been on the show before 28 years at SUNY Cortland, which is, a uh, very special. So, you know, joking, but also uh, when it comes to when I asked you if you were going to be there as long as Bayheim, obviously being facetious, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're very spoiled to have the coaches we have in New York state. Uh, one of them was just on the show and Matt Langle at Colgate. So, you know, there's, there's some amazing, amazing coaches, you being one of them, Jason, you wrote a letter. I, what I love is win or lose, you write these letters and you write them publicly. And, and people talk about coach speak and coaches, you know, just kind of being bland about stuff. Not only are you not giving us coach speak, quote unquote, of the base, you know, we tried really hard. We didn't win. Oh, well, or we won. It was great. We're focused on the next team. You write these heartfelt letters, these beautiful letters, and you put them out there. Why has it been so important to you to share a, a more sentimental and a more vulnerable side? of you as a coach, which we don't typically see from coaches. Why, why do that? I think self-disclosure is important, uh, especially nowadays, um, and self-awareness. Um, I'm not a funny guy, you know, people might laugh at me, but I'm not somebody that's going to be overly quick witted. Uh, so I've always learned with, if you're at any, in any occupation where you're have any sort of public persona, I think it's important to be who you are, yeah. you know, and um, whether that's the way I was brought up or the Italian in me, I'll stereotypically, I, I don't know. I, I probably have a little bit more of an emotional side to me, but um, I hear people are going to take the time to follow our team. And, you know, this weekend, you know, Tully's was showing our games live in the restaurant. 
Drummond's Country Club, where I belong and play golf. Uh, people getting together, watching our games. I think the least I can do is let people in a little bit um, to, to our program. And uh, if you want there to be a sense of community with what you're doing, um, I think opening your doors is a critical aspect of that if that's the result you want. And, and that's what I want. I want people to feel like, okay, we're not Syracuse University, we're not even Colgate, but here's something where, you know, some people, especially older people, they value watching teams where players are there for four years. That's not what's going on at the Division One level anymore, you know? So I think we provide a product that still maintains continuity within the program and a way of doing things. and. Uh, we've had people come up and watch us over the last three weeks here in postseason, Dan, that have said to me, you know, they just really have enjoyed watching that level of basketball. Yeah. And uh, another great thing about it was how surprised they are at how high a level and how uh, the level of play is. Um, so that makes me feel real good. And I think as a you know, product of that, what you want, what I want to do is let people in and, and, and thank them. You know, it's, it's authentic, it's authentic, it's sincere. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't reach out and return everybody's texts and phone calls. I had 276 when I got out of the game Friday, you know, and, you know, you don't have time to return everything. So this is this one of the nice things about social media is that this gives me an opportunity to communicate with a lot of people quickly. You know, and, and it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. And I think it's funny because I believe that the exact number that I have on my phone right now of text messages that I <laughs> is 276. And so I, I find that to be very because you send out messages and then you get replies and you like send out, you know, checking in with people, seeing how they're doing. So I can appreciate that very much. So Jason Leone, want to make note here for Oswego State, a winning record across the board conference 17 and one at home 12 and one on the road 14 and one neutral floor two and one 28 and three on the season and when jason tells you at the top of this conversation that they didn't play their best game they only lost by one possession 77 to 74 so after defeating the number one seed number one team in the nation reigning national champion randolph macon against university of wisconsin whitewater they lost by three okay folks so this is, you know, a, a team that was very, very, very close to getting to the final four in the history of Oswego State for the first time ever. So, Jason, you and I got a lot more conversations to have, a lot more bread to break together. But I want to say from the bottom of my heart this morning and whenever, wherever, thank you for being here in our community. Thank you for building a home with your girls and your wife in Oswego. Thank you, you know, with the school. Thank you for building a home in general in central New York. And, you know, thanks for how you treated me because I, I don't I don't think you fully know that there's little things that you've said to me, maybe to you over the years that are really big things and they mean the world to me. So you are one of the greatest and I'm very proud to count you as a friend. So coach or no coach to have you as a friend. And, and uh, you know, a paisan in this Italian world that we live in <laughs> means a lot to me. <laughs> hey, let's not forget that, Dan. That's important, all right? There's there's not a lot of places you can get a great dish of pasta, right? So <laughs> we got we to gotta enjoy those when we have them.
Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Jason, for all that you've done. Thank you for this historical season to you, your staff, to Oswego State in general, to all of your student athletes and the families that support you all. Thank you for giving us something incredible to watch, to reflect upon, and to build on for the future. You are one of the best coaches out there, and people should know that. And I love the fact that we get to have you here in our community. Thanks, Dan. I, I will say this to all of our people that are listening. You know, make sure that they, you know, I want to make sure everybody, you know, leaves this season and lets it go with a smile on their face because I am. Uh, it's unforgettable. And that's, that's how I'll leave it. Yeah. Unforgettable season. Incredible. And now for the <laughs> the 11th hour, the the encore, Jason and his wife will be watching basketball coming up very soon. So <laughs> thanks, Jason, for that. And people can pull that off. I think that's better than leading that team to 28 wins. <laughs> and a big shout out to, to Amber and a big shout out to to the girls and, and to you and to the family. So I uh, send you my love uh, to you and, and to everybody. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks, my friend. All right. Take care. Uh, coming from Jason Leone, one more time here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Tony Bruin coming up next right after this fast break on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora as we shift gears to his take on Jim Beheim, Adrian Autry, and Cuse, then and now. A lot of basketball coming to you this morning with a lot of purpose right after this. Avicoli's, located on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, has been your trusted neighbor for decades. Located just steps from Liverpool High School, we're happy to have the Liverpool Warriors on-site, on-location broadcast at Avicoli's through Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every single month, featuring student-athletes, coaches, and administration throughout the year from Liverpool High School. Head out to Avicoli's today on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, open Tuesday through Sunday for lunch, dinner, and drinks. We'd love to see you out there. And of course, you can call them at 315-622-5100 for takeout delivery and catering. That's 315-622-5100. And also find them on myavicolis.com. That's myavicolis.com. Having peace of mind when you're out of town, that your furry-loving friend is safe and sound, means taking them to Canine Campground. Because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets, it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound. Right, Lily? So take a ride to 242 Johnson Street in East Syracuse, New York, and see Canine Campground and where your dog will be staying, in the classic cabin, the executive cabin, the grand cabin, or of course, the luxury cabin, because if you know Lily, you know she loves luxury. <laughs> now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend that'll take your dog for a few days. Call Canine Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pick-up times are Monday through Sunday. Check K9 campground.com for more information that's the letter k the number nine and campground spelled with a k.com k9campground.com when you're going out of town bring your dog to canine campground (laughs) 
PB&J's Lunchbox, the food truck that you love finding all throughout Central and Upstate New York, now has a street side cafe. So when you're craving their traditional favorites as well as their out-of-box amazing menu items, you can now head to 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York, located just minutes from the highway, the thruway, Destiny USA, and Onondaga Lake Parkway. PB&J's Lunchbox Street Side Cafe is there for you Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner all throughout the day. Get breakfast for dinner, dinner for lunch, whatever you fancy, including their award-winning grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Find them at 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York. PB&J's Lunchbox, where we love to know what's in your lunchbox. This is a special message from 317 at Montgomery restaurant owner Joel Carpenter. Open Tuesday through Saturday for your dining pleasure on 317 Montgomery Street in Syracuse, New York. We wanted to be a part of the resurgence of Syracuse. We saw uh, a lot of money being put into bringing people back downtown and thought that, you know, we'd like to be a part of that. I love putting together a good dish where people see it first, they fall in love with it, and then it tastes just as good as it looks. We want to provide the best food in Syracuse that we possibly can, and we want you to leave here talking to your family, your friends about what you had to eat first and foremost, but also our service and to walk out feeling like you're part of our family. I work out in the front of the house a lot, and I love walking to every single table, asking them how everything is, and people looking at me and smiling and saying, this is the most amazing short rib I've ever had. This is the most amazing filet I've ever had. And Donna is great. Sarah's amazing. Thank you for coming over and talking to us. And then them just being truly happy for the experience that they've gotten. 317 at Montgomery Restaurant, part of the fabric of downtown Syracuse, located on 317 Montgomery Street in Syracuse, New York. Open Tuesday through Saturday for a unique and memorable dining experience. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports meets life. And here at Cafe Kubal, 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, 401 South Salina Street, all in Syracuse, as well as on the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in North Syracuse in their drive through location and on 343 Fayette Street in Manlius. Proud to be here with you inside of MonPazPopcorn.com's What's Poppin'? We had Matt Langle of the Colgate Raiders following them punching their ticket once again for the fourth time in five years to the NCAA tournament as Patriot League tournament champions. And Jason Leone making history with his Oswego State Lakers in the NCAA Division Three National Tournament for men's basketball as they advanced to their first ever Elite Eight and did that by defeating the number one seed Randolph-Macon, number one ranked team in the nation on their floor at Randolph-Macon College and the reigning national champions defeating them. So big time, big, wonderful history for Oswego, who continues to push the bar and make new history all the time. And it's now time to speak on a part of our history for the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team as we welcome Tony Bruin into the show. Tony Bruin, a Syracuse Orange basketball alum to speak on Bayheim, Autry, and Cuse then and now. Let's bring him into the broadcast. Tony, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Dan. How are you doing this morning? 
I'm doing well, Tony. And, and I know that, uh, and I got to see this and you and I were talking off the air about this and I'm sad that we didn't get to cross our paths here when you were in town recently, because I know you got to be around a bunch of the guys and, uh, and, you know, reflect with some of the former players and part of that Syracuse brotherhood. You came in for the Wake Forest game and got to see the celebration of 20 years ago, Syracuse winning the national championship in 03. You got to see Bayheim's last game coached in the Dome. Would love to get your thoughts on that experience. And, and if you had any feeling that that, that was the last game for, for Jim. Yeah. Um, you know, even before the game, the night before that Friday night, we had the celebration. Um, you know, I feel I know Bayheim's way is pretty good. And I could see um, that he was, he was really emotional, you know. Um, even when we greeted each other, um, we have a pretty good relationship, but he's never hugged me that long. So I kind of got the feeling um, that actually I thought he was going to make a speech that night, and um, he didn't. But I think even a lot of the players could feel that um, that Bayham was, was uh, this was probably going to be the last time that we saw him coach at the Dome. And so for you, Tony, like you said, you know, you have a good relationship with Jim. How would you describe that relationship that you have with Jim Beheim as as one of his former players? And, you know, wh- what relationship did you have when you were on the team? And how has that relationship evolved over time? Yeah, well, um, I-, I think with Coach Beheim, it was, it, it was kind of a, you know, trusting me and, and I'm trusting you type of thing. Uh, you know, Syracuse was a was a, a, a nice program at the time that I was being recruited, but I was being recruited um, by a lot of bigger schools than Syracuse. But nobody really, um, in my opinion, um, worked harder or made me believe that they wanted me to come to the school as bad as Coach Bayhan did. I mean, everywhere I turned, he was there then. I mean, we would have practice at Monte Cristi. He'd be at our practices. I'd have tournaments, you know, uptown in uh, New York City and Harlem, at the, uh, Harlem Rucker, you name it. Uh, you know, Queensbridge Projects, Coach Bayham was right there in the middle of everything. Um, every game that I played, whether it was one of my best games or one of my worst games, Coach was really there. And that made me really feel, uh, after him seeing me play some stinkers and some good games, that he was there just as hard the next game, uh, pursuing me that he really uh, – you know, that he, he really understood my game and wanted me to come to Syracuse. Um, and I believed in him. You know, I thought that he was um, he was a down-to-earth type of guy. My family had a good feel for him. He didn't come in and give you the aurora of, like, a slick salesman or anything. Um, he kept his promise to my family that no matter what, whether I came in with the ability to go pro and leave early, that college would always be an option for me, that he'd make sure I graduate or if I had to stay four years. He was going to make sure I left with my degree. And, um, you know, everything that he promised me and my family came into fruition. You know, he said I would enjoy myself and my time at Syracuse, which I did wildly. And uh, it was a great experience for me. And um, we really never had any type of negativity. Um, Even though my freshman year, I felt I should have been playing more, mixed with some injuries and stuff. But it never got to the point where um, um, me and and Coach got um, negative with each other. It was just things that I knew that I had to work on and get better at. He made me understand that. And, um, I mean, to this day, I can pick up the phone and get advice from him. Uh, I can call him and tell him about plays that I've seen that I've played against uh, while, co- you know, coaching high school basketball or AAU that I thought he might be interested in. Or I can call him, you know, it, it, it just, uh, 
it, it, you know, I can't say enough good things about him. It worked out well for me. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see him leave. Although, you know, um, I think it's time, you know, 47 years is a long time for anybody. I can't think of any other program that has as many players as we do that can come together like we did this past weekend and all have what you call the, uh, let's call it the Bayham experience. You know, we've all had the same coach. We've all got the same funny stories and uh, crazy things to talk about and things we can laugh about. And, you know, I don't care what program you mentioned, Duke, Indiana, any of the Blue Bloods, any, I don't think there's any program that has that many players that can go back and say that we've all had the same coach, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a, that's the thing, and I appreciate you sharing that. Tony Bruin here, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. You know, that 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 core, that connection, right? How how many schools can say that in five decades they had the same coach? Nobody. Nobody can say, nobody could say that. They can't say that about John Wooden. They can't say it about Coach K. They can't say it about Roy Williams. They can't say it about Deaton Smith. They can't say it about Jay Wright and and and, and Rick Patino and so on and so forth. It's never been done before, Tony. It'll never happen again because there's no way that some school is going to give 47 years in Division One men's basketball to a coach. And and so when you know that your coach has bonded you all in this brotherhood in such a unique and amazing way, what do you want to say to coach in response to everything that he's given to the game? Uh, I mean, I don't think that right now it's probably not hitting him to think about as many lives of young men that he's changed, that he's uh, affected, that he's uh, that he's helped, you know, that he's given opportunities to. Uh, how many people owe what they have today because of him? Um, you know, I, I think later on, as he, you know, as he starts to enjoy retirement. Um, and starts thinking about these things and as players start giving him calls and talking to him and things and he looks back and reflects that I think he'll understand just how many lives he's touched um, through basketball but, uh, but for outside of things um, basketball wise you know I mean um, when I finished playing basketball and was trying to find myself um, one of the reasons that I wanted the coach was thinking about Coach Bayon, you know like what affected me um and, 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 and it was him, you know, the, you know, the talks that we've had off the court and stuff like that. So he was one of the reasons that I wanted to become a coach and uh, try to give back to, uh, to, to, to young men on some of the experiences that I had, both good and bad, you know. And um, so he's touched a lot. He, like you said, I don't think there's any program where one single coach has touched as many people. And uh, he's touched a lot of lives, you know. Yeah, he did. You know, he's he's left a, a legacy that is so unique and of his own. I mean, Jim Beheim truly, there's only one, and there's not even anybody that you can compare to him. And and when it comes to looking at the level of success he's had and doing it all in one place, we did have a note that comes that came in. I wanted to share uh, from Neil, who's watching right now. I believe in Central California, he said Coach Beheim and Tony and his teammates literally carried Syracuse into the Dome and ESPN era. Us Syracuse grads and fans so appreciate these folks. I wanted to share that with you today. 
Oh, wow. That, that, that really touches me and makes me feel good um, and, and not forgotten. It was, you know, I, I remember there was a lot, a, a lot of apprehension at that time because um, although I don't have my best memories and experiences in Manly Fieldhouse, you know, the playing time was not what I was hoping for and my best memories of, of the Dome, but I know how dear um, Manly was to a lot of people and a lot of people, you know, I heard the, the whispers and stuff, you know, how, you know, what are we going to do with a half empty dome? And there was no way we was going to fill that dome up. And it was just not, we're never going to have the same feel that we had. Like Manly, we're never going to have the home court advantage like they did at Manly. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the brand of basketball that we bought with the players that he had with like Leo Rollins throwing me alley-oops from half court we had an exciting player like Eric Sanford and seven footers like Danny Shays. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was different. Um, you know, and, and um, when we started the Big East and playing schools like Georgetown and UConn, I remember like it seemed like there was a there was a, a period there where each game, the next game, we kept breaking our own record for the highest, most crowd on an on-campus arena, and we, we kept breaking our own record, and um, that made me feel good to know that you know the, all the doubt and um, apprehension that people had that our style of play um, put all of that to rest, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and and the thing is, I mean, Tony, being a part of this history and being a part of, you know, everything that was built at Syracuse, it has to take a place in your heart and be special. I mean, you were highly recruited. You chose to come to Syracuse. You talked about Jim just staying on you and really wanting you to come here. He was a young coach at the time, came in to the program as the head coach in 76, but played for the program and was an assistant under Roy Danforth. You came in uh, 79 to 83 and played with this team. So going back to Jim Beheim as a younger coach, what can you tell us about the why? Why Why did you believe his message? Why did you believe his vision? Why, when he was really young in the world of being a head coach, did you think, hey, this guy, this guy's the guy I want to play for? Well, if anybody that knows Coach now and you see the energy that he brings, you know, into his 70s, can you imagine the type of energy he was bringing at the age he was at when he was recruiting me then? I mean, he, he just outworked everybody. I mean, it was like some points where I'd get out of class and I'd be with some of my friends and I'd see him and uh, Brendan Malone in the gym and I'd sneak out the back door. I'm like, I'm so tired of seeing this guy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it, it's amazing. And uh, he like the energy. And the energy that he brought was just, um, you know, un unbelievable. Hey, coming here from Tony Bruin. Uh, Tony, before I let you go, uh, your nickname, Red. Adrian Autry's nickname, Red. So he got two Reds in Orange history. And, and Adrian Red Autry is now the head coach of the team. What makes you believe that the team's in good hands with Adrian? <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I go way back with Red, you know, pretty good friends. And uh, uh, even though I'm, I'm uh, sad for Coach Beheim, I'm glad that it's still in the Orange family, and I think they couldn't have picked a better person uh, to, to, to do the continuation with. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's just a great guy, and he, he knows, you know, he, he knows what the Orange basketball is all about. 
he knows what orange basketball is all about. I'm a um, he knows what Syracuse basketball is all about, and um, I think he'll he'll continue the tradition um, very well. That coming from Tony Bruin. Tony, we look forward to talking with you soon. I know you got to get hopping here and running around today, so we appreciate you spending a couple minutes with us on the broadcast, and we definitely look forward to having you back, and I thank you for everything you did in Syracuse history. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you guys having me on this morning. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Coming from Tony Bruin here, where sports meets that thing called life. We're going to take a quick step aside and uh, definitely appreciate having Tony here because I, I know he was running today. So it uh, always means a lot when uh, when we have these moments to celebrate history and definitely appreciate them. With that being said, we're going to take a quick step aside. And when we come back, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, the other half of Two Mics No Filter, Andrea Smith joining me here today, and we're going to have some fun. We got some things coming up in the not too distant future. And right now we're going to continue to make you laugh as the morning show within a morning show that I don't think you should live without. That's just my opinion. But we'll talk about a lot of great things with Andrea coming up after this on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Please stay with us. In these unique times, there are those in our community that give us a sense of normalcy and positivity. Pizza Man on 50 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville has been here for you for over 35 years and is here now. Call 315-638-1234 or order online at pizzamanbville.com to bring those familiar tastes into your home. And remember to come see our monthly on-site broadcasts centered around the community and our Baldwinsville Bees. Pizza Man in Baldwinsville. Any way you slice it, they are always here for you. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily, and we bring in local produce. We prepare to order in the kitchen. We hand butter our chicken. We hand spin our milkshakes. It's it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. It's different. We, we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly... The impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. 
I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or HondaCity-CNY.com. Our corporate purpose at Chick-fil-A is to glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that's entrusted to us and to possibly influence all those who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And what became increasingly clear from our success at Cicero is that people love Chick-fil-A. And also, I think we recognize that, you know, we had a great opportunity to grow the brand and grow our platform. I felt incredibly grateful when I was selected to be a Chick-fil-A operator. I think what it's meant for me, what I've come to realize on a very deep level is that this is a calling for me. It's not a career. It's not a job. The Lord called me to be a Chick-fil-A operator and to use these restaurants to glorify him and to positively influence other people. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. Head to Chick-fil-A Clay on 3974 State Route 31 in Liverpool, New York. Welcome back here to Wake of Call with Dan Tortora. Coming on to the screen with me momentarily, we have my co-host for two mics, no filter, and that being Andrea Smith. And I, I like, I, I love when we get to have these conversations off the air that he gets to see because uh, it's it's just very funny. And uh, and sometimes sometimes we're most of the time we're right on point with each other, and and then other times I get an O. Oh, LOL, like I just received from Andrea. So with that being said, happy to have you here on the broadcast. Two mics, no filters, going to round out this Monday edition. And happy to have my co-host back with me for the morning show within the morning show, the his and hers of life. Andrea, how are we doing? I'm good. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy, uh, you know, I can't call it a mellow Monday, but I just spent the entire week in Greensboro. I got to drive a, a red Mustang, which now I realized I want to do every day. And and especially in Greensboro, because there's a bunch of straightaways, right? There's like open areas on the highway. But yeah, just got back from Greensboro. And uh, when I should be sleeping and, you know, getting off that flight and resting up for the week, I decided to do a three plus hour breakdown of the bracket for all 68 teams. So I did it from nine something yesterday to past midnight this morning. And I did that for you, Andrea, so that you can have information on how to fill out your bracket. Thank you. Um, Cause I would, I'm shooting from the hip on yeah. it. Um, my work asked me to join a bracket. I'm like, you don't want me to join your bracket. Cause I don't know anything. I pick like based off like instinct, which is not educated at all. Uh, but who are you picking to take it all? Who am I picking to take it? So, I'm okay. So I'm revealing my bracket on Wednesday. So I can't say I I can't say much. I can say going into it that I really hope that Houston makes a deep run. And they are they're one of the four number one seeds. They're considered the second number one seed of the tournament. So out of 68 teams, they were ranked two by the NCAA selection committee. Okay, so we were watching uh, ESPN last night. And just, I mean, not for 
it was just on in the background. And I picked Texas over Houston. And my husband was like, they're number one. Like, you, there's not a chance. I'm like, that's that's why I'm picking them. Because yeah. they're not expected to win. Like, I've seen enough upsets in sports, you know what I mean? That I, I find that every time I do a bracket at work, for every year that I do the bracket at work, I always pick, you know, based off of, like, who's supposed to win. And I feel like it never goes that, that way. Yeah. So I might be better off shooting from the for the underdogs. Yeah, well, I mean, and in that case, you should probably shoot for Colgate to bring this show full circle. I had Matt Langle on the show today. And if you're picking Texas, that means you pick them to beat Colgate. And Colgate is, you know, that was the team that we just celebrated here this morning. So maybe you need to change your bracket. Maybe you need to get really bold and pick Colgate. Well, here's the problem. And I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. This is going to offend some people. I honestly thought you were talking about a toothpaste commercial just now. <laughs> That's, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just break away from that. I, I'm sorry. No, you're okay. I live in Florida. I don't know a lot yeah. about yeah. a lot. <laughs> Andrea's feed has been dropped. It's so weird that it's a black screen now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. So, we're going to do some fun things during the tournament where you and I are going to have a bracket and we're going to have some fun with it with, with my deep dive into the NCAA tournaments field of 68 that kept me up until the wee hours of the morning. I've now put us in a situation today for two mics, no filter where we, I mean, we typically talk about anything we shoot from the hip whenever we, we have each other on here. So I want to talk about relationships in the sense that I've been dating. And I know that you're excited about this because because I've been dating. And I know you wanted me to share more last show, and I did not. So I okay. So I, I wanna I wanna tread this lightly because I don't think they watch the show, but they may watch the show. But I'm gonna give you the players. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you like the the I guess my tournament field in the sense okay, I'm ready. Uh, Oh, this is where I'm at. So there's one girl that I've talked to in my dating recently, and she's fun. And it seems like she opens up the more I get to know her. But she does two things that throw me off. And so I'm nervous to say what it is out loud. So I'm thinking, what if she does listen? But keep going. Okay. So yeah, I I just glutton for punishment. So the one of the things that she does is she'll you know when you're talking to somebody i always feel like yeah you can kind of like let them know that you're listening so if you're on the phone they can't see you nod so you could say yeah okay or like i understand and you say that every once in a while because you don't want to like throw them off from their thought she does a thing that when i talk she goes "Uh uh-huh all right uh uh-huh what Uh uh-huh yeah right okay Uh uh-huh uh-huh all right Uh uh-huh uh-huh oh yeah and it's like consistent so that kind of throws me off the other thing she does is she laughs uncontrollably in the middle of a conversation after saying something that's not funny. And just like a nerves, it could be nerves. And that's why I'm saying that I'm trying to like, you know, understand it because I, you know, we've talked a lot and um, yeah. So, I mean, that you've been on a physical date with this person. We have not because she is, see this where I don't want to give away. She's, out of town but coming back into town and so we haven't we've we've talked well she's been out of town that's when we started talking 
she's in a transitionary thing. So we, uh, cause she's changing jobs. And so we talked only on the phone and it throws me, it just kind of throws me off to have this like, you know, interaction where she'll talk about something that has no, like she'll say, Oh, I watched this TV show and she'll just start laughing. And yeah, it kind of throws me off a little bit or she'll be like, you know, today I saw a bird outside and she'll start laughing. And so, it, yeah. <laughs> so, I should try FaceTiming. That's what I want to do. That's, that's what I would like to do. Cause I want to see I this. Like you, yeah. yeah. I feel like you can get a lot when you. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. So there's that one. Then there's, then there's the situation of this person that I get along with. I enjoy, I think I mentioned it before in the show, get along with, enjoy their company, but we're in two different places. They've, they've had kids in another relationship. They don't want anymore. You know that I want to be a dad. So there's like this giant thing in the background, yet there's this, you know, really cool connection in the foreground. So that's been a tough one to kind of figure out because we kind of just click, but, you know, we have differences in, in where our future is heading. New relationship. So I think it's very common for a woman to say that she doesn't want more kids if she has them, but if the relationship were to continue on, and you really fall in love with somebody, whatever. I also think it's common for a woman to change her mind on that and say, okay, I'll have one more because I want to have one with you. So yeah. I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I, but I will say this. If she's hell bent that this is the way she wants to be, you might as well forget the connection and just be friends because it's not what you want long-term and nothing you can do is going to change that if she's hell bent on it. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as like with a male or a female. When somebody is, this is who they are. This, you know, you can't change people yeah. and what they want. So you may be barking up the wrong tree. But I do think in a new relationship, like it would be easy for me if I was dating. It would be easy for me to say I don't want any more kids. You know, but I've never had my tubes tied or anything like that. So it's not like it's a no. It's just at this point in my life, if I was not married, like I don't, I don't think I would want more kids. Yeah. Because they're a lot of work. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I see it from the viewpoint, and I want to respect women because it's their body, not mine. For sure. I, when I look at relationships and coming into a relationship as a man or a woman with kids, and you're saying to this person like that doesn't have kids, be it a man or a woman on the other end of the relationship, you're saying to them, hey, if we get together these are kind of your kids now too. And so in that sense of it, if I'm open-minded to somebody's kids that are not my, my children, then I would like them to be open-minded to having one with me. I think it's, I think it's only fair to go into a relationship and say, if, if I'm the one with kids and I want you to be open, then I would like you to be open to the fact that maybe I want one of my own. And I think that's fair because it, you know it's happened to people that I love before. They were in a relationship, and they dated somebody. They got married. Then the person was like, "Nah, I don't want to stay married," and like overnight, just changes and says, "I'm taking my daughter. See you later." And so they not only lost their wife, they lost their kid. 
And, and so to me, if you're the person in, and I, so this is why I say it to people that are, you know, if it's a woman from my standpoint saying, I don't want to have any more kids, I can respect it and understand it. It's your body. I look at it from my perspective as a man, though, if you, if, if women will allow me to have this conversation and, and, and you can obviously chime in from the standpoint of, you know, being a woman who has, you know, kids of your own, I, I look at it and say, I'm taking a huge risk because if we don't work out, I'm 37 years old. If we don't work out and I understand that I can have kids at any age, whatever. And people say that all the time, like, ah, you're a man, but do I want to have kids when I'm, you know, 45 years old? You know what I mean? So it's when I look at being 37, coming into a relationship with someone who has kids, I'm looking at it from the perspective of if we don't work out, you're not taking one person out of my life. You're taking two. You're taking three. And and that is, I think that's something that I, I would love to get your perspective on as a woman. Because as a man, I, if I don't have kids of my own with this person, then I can stand to lose everything basically overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and I've known men who told stories about you know, things like this where they were maybe in a second marriage and it didn't work out and hear that they had like, raised in their mind raised this woman's children you know the child was maybe two or three when they came into the picture and they really helped raise this child and now that they're not together or they're on bad terms you know they've they've lost this father-son relationship that he had with the other one so i mean yeah i I mean yeah i think that that that's heartbreaking you know i mean it's like i i'm not let me just say this before I say what I'm about to say. I know it's not the same thing. Okay. What I'm about to say, I know it's not the same thing. However, when you're in a relationship and you get a dog and you love this dog and the girl loves this dog and one ends up with the dog. And at first you're thinking you're going to have visitation rights with the dog, right? And it doesn't last long, but that's what you're thinking is going to happen. Yeah. It's somewhat similar. I mean, it's like it's like a piece of you is gone now because your love for this animal or this child or whatever has been ripped away. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I would say that I'll go back to what I said before, that you you have this is so new that this could change this whole not wanting kid things. And I'm not I'm not saying it's going to change because right. she could be very, very she could a, she could have her tube tied. She could be very set on this. No more kids, no more kids. But. Like I said, if it were me, like right now, I don't want more kids, but if it were me and I was single and I, you know, fell in love with somebody and, you know, I was in my second marriage or, or whatever, like I, even though I'm 40 and I'm really getting to an age where it's starting to be like, you know, your advanced maternal age, you know, things like that, that they say when you're having kids, yeah. I would have to at least consider it if we wanted to have a child together. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, I just, yeah. So, I mean, there, you might be wasting your time also. I do agree. And so, so then that leads me to the third topic of, well, the, the third dating the third con- girl. Yes. The situation. Okay. Wait a second. I, back up before we get to third girl. Last week we talked, I think it was like Friday or the week before that we talked and you said that you had been on a date with a girl that you kind of liked. Yeah. So what happened with that girl? that that was discussed in in one of these two that we talked about already so yeah so yeah being in being in the situation of you really get along but number two in two different places number two 
It was door number two. Okay, let's talk about number three. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you picked up on it quickly. You're you're very perceptive. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> considering the door number one, you haven't been on a date with. I'm, I, it was very listen. Was cut and dry. I'm trying to give you credit for being, you know, a, a master investigator. Let me give you the credit where I want to. So the, the so door number three okay. is an interesting door. And it's an interesting door because we dated in college. I was a junior. She was a freshman. Okay. I love this already. Okay. By the way. I just, I'm excited about it. Keep going. Keep she, going. She was a junior. I was, or pardon me. I was a junior. She was a freshman. So we started dating. I don't even know how we met, but we just kind of clicked and we dated but she had just gotten to college. And so we were fine dating as long as there was no title put on it. And the moment I said, I want to be your boyfriend, she got weird. And it was kind of like, hey, you know, I just got to college. And listen, hindsight 2020, when I was a junior in college, I wanted to date her because I had, you know, thought about what I wanted. She was just getting to college. Why would she want to date somebody for the rest of her life? So I get that. And I understand that. In the time, I didn't understand it but I understand it now. So all these years pass and we've kept in touch. I got divorced. I reached out to her, I don't know, a year or two later. And we talked for a while and we had great connection and I really enjoyed it. We talked a couple of times and we didn't discuss whether or not she was dating anybody. And then, you know, it, it kind of toward the end, it was like, oh, are you seeing somebody? And she was like, yeah. And I'm sitting here going, why are we on the phone for all these hours connecting if there's somebody else there? I always find that weird with a man or a woman like talking to someone for an hour plus in a in a kind of like flirtatious way and then being, oh, yeah, I, I'm dating someone. So she dated somebody for like seven or eight years. Uh, we talked a little bit ago. So after the, so the timeline is I got divorced in. I don't know. She left in two. I don't even remember anymore. She left in 2018. And then we talked, so her, so then I talked to this girl a little bit after that. And then we talked again. And when we talked again, she was still seeing the guy, but I, it didn't feel like it was like the same. They didn't live together. They'd been together for a long time. There was like this detachment. And I said, okay, well, she's still dating somebody. So I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I kind of check in on her every year or so because I've never, she's never left my brain from 2006. So. I reached out to her recently and we were talking and she's like, I don't remember the last time we talked, but I'm single now. I'm not seeing that guy. I saw another guy after not seeing him anymore. So now I'm single living in a new apartment. She's not too far away. And we really do click still. So, but I, but I, she's so hard to read. It's like, without directly asking her her thoughts she's she's hard to read but she remembers everything i mean we were on the phone and i don't even know if we talked within the past year or two and we were on the phone talking to each other and she was talking about my parents stuff that i did like and all i mean she remembered things that i told her years and years ago and and i th i mean she knows what my parents do for a living and all that so she's kind of she's she's kept something on her mind about me, but I can't read her. However, I will tell you this. 
I have not, <laughs> I've been, she's been in somewhere in my mind since 2006, because when we first dated, I never stopped thinking about what if this could work out someday when she's ready for it to work out someday. So that's, that's me kind of lining up the plate for you. Have you guys, have you mentioned seeing her or getting together? So we were supposed to talk again over the weekend. We did not, we texted a little bit, but I wanted to, I didn't know when was the right time to do it. Cause we kind of like talked. She said she was single. I told her I was single. I mean, we're friends on Facebook, so I'm sure that, you know, she could see that I am because I, I, mine is on my profile, but, but, um, yeah, I haven't come out and literally said it because I don't know. This is where you wonder about the rules of women, right? She's newly single. She's been through relationships. She's doing this like, you know, year of her. So do you turn around and and give it a, a few weeks of talking on the phone and then say, hey, I'll, you know, I'll come out and see you if you'd like me to or, you know, what, what does come out and see you mean? Like, how far are we talking? It's it, like no, it's a, I mean, it's the same state. It's just a little bit of a ride for me. That's all. So it's not like you could say, hey, let's meet for coffee. because She's not in your, your town. No, it's not like I can say, hey, you're 20 minutes away. Right. You'd have to plan for it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, <laughs> I believe in this kind of stuff. I really do. Like, I, I always think that like, there's the right time, right place or right people, wrong time, mm -hmm. those types of things. Yeah. I think that that happens to a lot of people. And I think more people than would like to admit it are in situations like this, where somebody from their past is, you know, super important to them still for whatever reason. And, and if, they were to speak, it would be like nothing ever changed. Like pick right back up to where it was. Um, I, I think too, though, you can get very caught up in that yeah. as wanting it to be like a fairy tale or fate. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's not to say it's not. I mean, I know I've known people to get divorced and reconnect. Like literally, I know somebody who got divorced, reconnected many, many years later with some guy she had dated early on in life, like at a funeral in the town, they happened to both be at the same funeral, saw each other and now have been married ever since. Yeah. And they were about like 20 or 30 years in between. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's that uncommon that that happens. I think that too, when you already have a connection to somebody, it just takes away that awkward stage of like, figuring it out, you know, which I think when people get to a certain stage in their life and they just want to be happy, yeah. you know, especially people coming out of second marriages or coming out of first marriages, divorced. And like, I always say like, or I read something once that said your second marriage is when everybody gets it right because they know now what they're looking for and what they, what they're not looking for. And I think in a, if it were a situation like this to work out, it's like, okay, well, I thought this person was great back then. We were just too young. It couldn't have worked out then. And look at us now. We had to go through all these things in our life to come back together. Yeah. But I, like I said, I think that you can kind of also get really hung up on that and be almost a little too hopeful because it does feel very um, lifetime movie, very fairy tale-ish, very Disney. Mm. Well, I can tell yeah. I can tell you that I don't feel that way. I'm not chasing the fairy tale. I'm not chasing the, I want to feel the way I felt when I was a junior in college. I mean, I can, I can honestly tell you that's, that's not it in this situation and other you are intrigued because you couldn't get her off yeah. your mind. So you're thinking yeah. right now, here's what you're thinking. I think you're okay. so wrong. 
Okay. This is what I think you're thinking. There's got to be a reason I could never get her off my mind. Yeah. Okay. So fate. <laughs> you know. I believe fate. So I'm not against it. I'm, I do believe in this kind of stuff. I yeah. do believe. I don't believe that there's one person for everybody out there. I just think that that's yeah. that's ridiculous statement. There's probably 10 people out there for you, to be honest with you. It's just finding them. But yeah. I do believe in fate. I do believe your paths align with people and things like that happen. So, am I, so I guess what's the question? What are you going to do? Well, yeah. Well, and this is the thing is I can't tell if she is interested in anything like that. That's one thing that, that I that Why I you ask her? I could. But, you know, that's that's the side of it, too, is it's like I have no problem asking her, but do I want to do it? You know, we just started talking again. Do I want to be like, hey, we just started talking again. Where's your head at? I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not the type of per I used to rush things no. in the past. I don't jump the gun anymore and I'm not chasing. No, but I think that you could easily say, listen, yeah, you know. I like I'm so glad we, we reconnected. Yeah, I would love to see you. Um, you know, no pressure or anything like that, but I would love us to get together and you don't have to like, say, I want to see if we still are compatible or where's your head at. Like you don't have to even go that deep with it. Yeah. I but I would say, let me ask you a question. You said she's doing this whole year of year of you or year of her yeah. thing. Um, when she told you that, was it almost like standoffish? Like I'm not dating anybody. I'm doing this year of me, blah, blah, blah. Or was it more like, yeah, I really need to, you know, reconnect with me and kind of figure out what I want out of life. Like, was it more conversational or was it almost like she was putting a hard stop to set the tone? No, I've, it, it seemed like almost like she didn't necessarily buy into it. It was kind of like, I went through a relationship, this happened and now I guess I'm just doing this thing, I guess, you know, it, was, it wasn't like, a, okay. yeah, it, you know, and she didn't have to tell me she was single. She worked that into the conversation somewhere. Well, maybe she wants you to ask, you, ask her to hang out or see you. I mean, well, I mean, what do you have to lose? This is my thought. No, I, I have, I have, I have nothing to lose. I'm just the type of person where I rushed everything in the past. And so, and I rushed with her when we were in college together, you know, I was like, oh, you just got here five minutes ago, but I know what I want. So I wasn't thinking about what she wanted. And so for me, I would think now this is me thinking, and I know people are crazy in today's world and probably always, but now you see it because it's on social media, but pe people are nuts. Okay. And, and I would think that if I was in her shoes and it's like, okay, the guy I used to date in college every year or two calls me up, talks to me, catches up with me, checks in on me and always asks me if I'm seeing anybody. I would think that now that's happened a third time that maybe in her brain, she's, she's thinking, okay, like he's not calling me just to say what's up for no reason, you know, but she could also be thinking, what'd think? you say? One would think. One would think. One would think. This is why I said the world is crazy. Because one would like, because if I had a girl call me up that I used to date, that was like, hey, what are you up to? This, that, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, I'm married. And she's like, all right. And then I don't hear for her for a while. And then a couple years later, you know, something 
you know, whatever I, I hear from her again. And she's like, oh, how you been? And I'm like, oh, I'm good. Da, da, da. We talk for an hour or two. We have a great time. We laugh. And then she's like, oh, you know, so like, what's going on? Are you still with the same person? And I'm like, yeah. And then a couple of years after that, she calls again. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm single. I would think that this woman is calling for a purpose and a reason because there's really between me and this door number three, there's no reason for us to talk to each other other than the fact that we used to date and that one of us, if not both of us could still be interested. So listen, this is not a poop or get off the pot type of thing. Like I'm not afraid to ask the question. I just, I've waited long enough to say to her now that you're single, you know, I've waited long enough to hear her say she's single for me to say, Hey, it would be great to catch up with you. I've waited such a long time for this moment that I want to handle the moment correctly. And listen, she could say no and whatever, and that's totally fine. I'm not. Well, the t- she says no, though, then that's that's kind of the answer. You right. know what I mean? That yeah. she's not interested. Exactly. I mean, listen, I you know, I don't know who I was talking to about this. Was I talking to you about this when they said that men and women can't be friends or something? Yeah, we were talking. We were talking about it. Okay, I do disagree because I don't think that's the case. I do think that you can have genuine. You can love somebody in your past. Mm-hmm. And at one point before you started dating, you had a friendship with them, right? So you can actually love who they are as a people. Now, your spouse or your girlfriend ever may argue that you shouldn't be friends with somebody that you used to date. And that's understandable because a lot of people do feelings do kind of come and go, things like that. But I do think it's possible. I mean, there have been people in my past and Granted, I don't think any of them were serious relationships, so maybe that's why it's different. Like, none of them were serious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm friends with people. I have people, you know, that I stay in contact with to an extent, you know, that I'm or that I'm super happy for them. Whenever I see, you know, on their Facebook or their social media how great things are going, like, I will absolutely comment and be happy for them and all the great things. Um, but I do think everybody also has somebody from their past where they think, and maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people have somebody from their past where they always think, wonder what would have happened had the timing been right or whatever with that person. Right. Now, maybe that's the ex that you can't keep in touch with. But, yeah, you know. I mean, I'll put it to you like this, okay? If door number three and I had dated and stayed yeah. together, that would have been, like, I... If, if, okay, my ex-wife would have never been an option to me if this had worked out with this person. So this is not like a person where I'm like sloppy seconds or, oh, like whatever's left. I'm the type of person of saying like, if we dated back then, I would have really enjoyed it. She, she has good manners. She's sweet. She's funny. She's funny when she doesn't know that she's funny, which is funny. And She's just she's just a different type of human being and and not the one that you would meet every day. She's very kind and she's beautiful, but not the type of person that like tells you how great they how beautiful they are. So, you know, and and she's very honest. She's very, very honest, kind of like to a point where she lets you inside of her brain with maybe not even thinking about it sometimes. So. I can respect all of that. And listen, if it doesn't work, it's fine. I mean, I've gone, how what, 17 years? We haven't dated in between this time. But 
it's one of those things where if I got the chance to actually date her as an adult, both of us as as adults, if I big difference, you can't compare relationships in your early, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, whatever. You cannot compare relationships back then to what they would be like now as an adult. And like, that's something I, I say that too all the time, because I agree. It's like, it's like, I think I know where you're going with this. It's like, if you had the chance now to date her as an adult, you wouldn't let her go. Right. And I do, I do think that every man, if they did not marry that person in their life, every man has somebody in their past that they feel like could have been the one. Right. And in your case, it wasn't you to make that decision. But in most, I think in most male, most of my guy friends that have somebody like this or whatever, it's them. They were too young, too dumb, cheated, made mistakes, wasn't ready to settle down, whatever. But they say, you know, had that, had it, same thing you're saying, had I had the chance now to pursue that relationship, I wouldn't have been married this or I wouldn't have been divorced or I wouldn't be in this predicament or whatever. I think that I also think it's easy to look back on things and remember only the good times. Right. And, and listen, we, her and I, if we, if I, if I described us in college, we barely got on the plane, it didn't shut the door and we didn't take off on the runway. It was a very initial thing, but she's the type of person that, just kind of, I don't know. She just, she's stuck in my, for whatever reason, she's stuck in my head, but I can tell you this isn't one of those like, oh, it's in my head. I can't get it out. I can't do it. It's not that at all. It's this, Hey, she's a sweet person. I've seen a lot of things in life. Put it to you like this. There's a ton of women that I've met that if they said, Hey, will you come out and see me? I would probably not. But if she said to me today, Hey, would you come out and see me? I'd be like, yeah, let me check the flights this afternoon. That's the difference. And for whatever reason. Connection. Yeah. I mean. Which makes it better. I mean, who wants to date and like go spend a weekend with like somebody you barely know? Right. And the thing is. Like I, I tell you this. I don't envy you to be in in, in the dating world. I really don't. Because I don't be either. Very, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's, it, it would be difficult. <laughs> yeah. And I hear horror stories <laughs> a yeah. lot from you. But. You know, my other friends too, I, you know, it's like nothing's great about it, but there's something very comfortable about already having some sort of connection with somebody. It's like, it's almost like, feels like homey a little bit, you know, and you want to pursue that and see.